Welcome to Soundtrack Your Life, a podcast about soundtracks, music, and movies. Each episode features a guest and focuses on a specific soundtrack and the personal stories connected to it. Now here's your host, Ryan Pack. Welcome to Soundtrack Your Life, the podcast where I interview guests every episode and we talk about a soundtrack that has impacted their lives. Today, our guest is Dr. Elena Raja Gopal. She's also the host of the ER Docs podcast. Today, we're going to talk about the Coen Brothers directed film, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, which was released in the year 2000. So, Elena, why are we talking about Oh Brother, Where Art Thou today? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. I, as you know, had a really tough time finding an album that um, I guess really spoke to me to talk about because my music tastes are pretty eclectic so to be honest like unless I could find an album that has pop and hip-hop and bluegrass and rock and alternative and oldies and country like it's not really a soundtrack of my life so to speak so um turns out I couldn't find an album that had all of those different types of music so um I started just looking at albums that at least had a lot of songs I love and identify with, I guess, to a certain extent. Um, So that said, I think there's a lot of songs on the Oh Brother, Where Art Thou album that connected to various times in my life. Um, And when I talked to you about it, you also liked it. So we finally picked it after I probably agonized over it for what, like, a month or longer i don't remember how long it took yeah it was a few weeks <laughs> sorry but yeah i think um one of the things i really love about the songs and artists on this album is that they sort of endure through the ages like there are multiple songs and groups on this album that have existed for like nearly 100 years or in some cases even longer so it's kind of like listening to a bit of history. Yeah, it's very intentional. Um, they brought in the soundtrack supervisor to kind of start working on the music before they actually started filming the movie. Uh, usually, usually with soundtracks, you pick the music afterwards. For this film, they wanted to record the soundtrack before filming, and it's because music is such a big part of this film. Yeah, totally. And I mean, it's obvious, I think, that the focus was, well, I mean, not completely on the music, but at least partially. It won a Grammy for Album of the Year, and it's sort of stood stood the tests of time. We still hear these songs all the time. Yeah, so like you said, it won the Grammy for Album of the Year. It's one of only three soundtracks to have that honor along with Saturday Night Fever and The Bodyguard. So, you know, it's quite... about The Bodyguard. That's a good one. Yeah, it's quite an achievement for uh, this film to to win that honor, for the soundtrack to win that honor. Uh, Kind of... uh, While while many of the songs are still recognizable today, um, I thought it's kind of interesting that 
for something that one album of the year it didn't really like launch any of these artists into the mainstream i'm sure a lot of them found bigger audiences after this but there's no like real star of the soundtrack i think the soundtrack is the star is the star you know it's like what is it it, it is the sum of is greater than its parts the whole yeah thing. totally I think that's so true. And I think, I mean, while none of these songs, I mean, it's not like, you know, a star is born where there's one or two songs that sort of stand out from the album. It's really, I mean, each of these songs has either been around for decades um, or the artists have been around for decades. And so kind of putting all of that experience and richness and depth together made such a really um, memorable soundtrack like you said you know putting them all together really made them or made the whole album um, much more successful together so what are some of the songs that really speak to you from the soundtrack I mean there's a ton of them <laughs> um, but I think the first one is probably I'm a man of constant sorrow it's the song that I think is probably the most stand out or memorable from the film and the soundtrack and so i think that's probably probably the the first one that uh, i would think of when i think of this film and then also the album yeah i think that's the song that kind of helped launch the soundtrack it's kind of you know i i don't know i don't want to call it the single but it seemed like it was the first song that kind of got the momentum for the soundtrack going. The film was pretty well received. Uh, it did well at the box office, but I feel like the soundtrack is a lot more famous than the movie at this point. Yeah, I hadn't seen the movie in a while, and I didn't actually realize it had been 20 years since it came out until we were talking about this episode. So it's amazing how time flies. Um but yeah, I, I guess this song was sort of my first exposure to folk or bluegrass music. Um, and I guess I'd always been a bit of a snob who was like, oh, I don't want to listen to bluegrass or, you know, anything like that. And then I heard this song and just completely fell in love with it. Um, and I think really ended up introducing me to bluegrass a little bit and then it wasn't until I was in Texas which coincidentally is where I met your wife um that another friend introduced me to old crow medicine show so I really kind of got into bluegrass music then but this uh this song was my gateway drug yeah I had a similar experience back when the movie was released this was kind of my first exposure to you know kind of folksy um country-esque music that I liked mm -hmm. like I think the closest that I probably came to before that was like Wilco or the Jayhawks yeah and I mean I think the storytelling in uh, bluegrass and country music in general is so beautiful like I just feel like when I'm listening to gospel or bluegrass or country I really listen to the lyrics um, and sort of the meaning of the song and it's usually kind of sad and depressing too. But <laughs> at the same time, I think it makes you feel really connected to certain songs and sort of the struggle of the um, the characters, I guess, in the songs. 
I feel like the imagery is really, really um, just present and clear for music in this genre. There's definitely a lot of suffering in the music. Uh, there's also like a really great dark sense of humor as well. Yeah, I think in the songs as well as in the film, <laughs> I really sort of appreciated that dark comedy aspect of it. Yeah, and so the Coen brothers directed the film and I had been, I'm, I mean, I'm still a big fan of theirs. I was, you know, I was really discovering their movies around the time Oh Brother Where Arthur came out. So I was really excited about it. I, this was their first film where I felt like, I feel like music was important in all their films, but, you know, this is the first time where, where music, you know, it's not a musical, but there are so many like musical scenes in this film. Like usually I think they have like maybe one or two per movie, but this one it's like scattered throughout the film. Yeah. And I think what you said before is really true too, where, I mean, it's almost like the, the movie was developed to feature some of the music more prominently um, when it's usually completely opposite. You know, the score doesn't come until after the movie's filmed. So there was definitely an aesthetic they were going for with the movie. They hired T-Bone Burnett to kind of wrangle the soundtrack. Um, he's a lot more famous now, but this was his first soundtrack that he was kind of in charge of. They they invited him to, quote, in to design collections of music, and I definitely feel like he designed the soundtrack. Um, it has a lot of dirges and... Um, songs that are popular in Appalachian music. Yeah. And like you said, you know, just a lot of really old traditional sort of, a lot of old traditional songs. Americana, in a sense. You have songs like You Are My Sunshine, and I feel like Big Rock Candy Mountain is a song that I've heard forever. Um, but, you know, it's presented in a way where it's almost recontextualized. Yeah, for sure. I think with any of these songs, especially the songs that have been around as long as You Are My Sunshine, for example, it's really, really interesting to see how, you know, they may have been written a hundred years ago, but they've been re-recorded and reworked so many times and sort of reinterpreted within the context of um, whatever the current time is for those recordings. And so I think this album in particular does a fantastic job with that. I think because the soundtrack kind of started to overshadow the movie, I feel like in like the TV spots for the film, they would show, you know, they would highlight the soundtrack. And because of that, my friend from high school basically thought the movie was like George Clooney playing a character who became a huge singing star because <laughs> it looked like this musical instead of it just being one of many threads that are in the film. Right. Because, you know, they just kept on showing, um, you know, clips, I think of his character singing, I am a man of constant sorrow, which was obviously a, you know, the hit from the soundtrack. But my friend just thought it was this movie about George Clooney becoming a singer and he wanted no part of it. Yeah, fun fact, George Clooney actually, I guess, originally recorded the song, but after he came out of the recording booth, the producer like put his head down and looked away 
And so I guess Clooney knew at that time that his voice was then going to be dubbed. (laughs) So um, I think the artist that ended up um, actually recording his part was Dan Taminsky, um, who's actually a bluegrass musician. Yeah, I think I remember watching like some like Entertainment Tonight featurette about like who is the voice behind the man of constant (laughs) sorrow. And they did an interview with Dan um, Taminsky. I think I just saw it on a popular news article, so I don't know how true it is, but that was the the rumor, is that he actually did try to record the song, but it didn't work out. I think it worked out for the best. Yeah, it's a great song. Yeah, but it's kind of weird that this, you know, this movie is so hard to describe if you think about it. Like, it's got a bunch of music in it. It's got a bunch of singing in it, but it's not a musical. It's also, like, technically based off the Odyssey. Yeah, it's like it's really an allegory. And then but it's like funny. I find it one it's I find it as one of the most rewatchable Coen Brothers films. But it's like one of those it's like a film that's really hard to describe to someone who's never seen it. Yeah, that is really true. Cuz I mean there's a lot of different narratives sort of flowing through the the film itself. So um I can't even, yeah, I'm not sure how I would describe it to another person. A journey of three men trying to find redemption, but that's not really true. <laughs> and it's a really, it's a really oversimplified way of describing the film. It, totally. You know, it, it's a movie where there's so many things going on, but it doesn't feel like overstuffed. Mm-hmm. For me, it was a turning point as far as how I felt about George Clooney. Yeah, I think before that, I'd really only seen him on ER. So it was kind of his first first role outside of the box of his doctor character. I think he had done a few films maybe while he was still doing ER. I think Batman and Robin might have been right around that time. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, I think he likes to hope people forgot about that as well. (laughs) I think he did Out of Sight and Three Kings and this film all around the same time. It it changed my mind from, you know, George Clooney is just this like, you know, pretty boy to like, oh, like, I like him. He's funny. Like he, I, I think he can act. Yeah, he, his character in this film was pretty complex and actually had a lot of depth um, and was very, very flawed, which made him very interesting to watch. Yeah, it's the first of a handful of movies he's done with the Coen brothers at this point. And in every one of the movies they've done with him, they seem to they seem to enjoy making him like the butt of the joke of the movie. I hadn't thought about that before. Like they love to play on his vanity, they love to play on, you know, him being kind of like a smooth talker. Uh in this movie, you know, he He's extremely very vain. vain. You know, he's always obsessed with his hair. Yes. He needs a specific pomade for his hair. Um, in Intolerable Cruelty, which he did maybe five or six years later, uh, he's always staring at his teeth. Trying to remember. I haven't seen that in so long. But I can definitely see the the playing to the vanity in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? 
Yeah, they kind of take his public persona in this film and they kind of turn it into a big joke. Mm -hmm. And then he just kept wanting to work with them. (laughs) I mean, I think for many actors, it's really fun to sort of um, find those those parts of you that are flawed or um, that you maybe like or don't like and either playing them up or downplaying them, you know, the, the things that um, you don't necessarily like about your inner thoughts or anything like that can make really, really interesting characters because you can identify with those characters in a, in a way and then just kind of focus on those things and adopt them as your own whether he may think he's an amazing amazingly attractive man or not you know that was the public opinion of him so i think he enjoyed you know playing into being extremely vain and extremely obsessed with his appearance yeah i'll go out on a limb and say yeah he's he's pretty attractive yeah (laughs) so i i think he liked playing into that Um, yeah you know obviously he's kind of kind of thinks he's the smooth talker he yeah the character for sure um i think there's even a conversation in the film where uh with another character he talks about how he values his ability to fill holes in the conversation and um sort of never leave never leave any blank spaces right which which basically is admit, admitting that he talks too much. Yeah. You find out near the end of the film that why he broke out of prison is not what he promised his friends at all. Yeah. So, so he's base he's he's definitely a con man as well. Absolutely. If you watch the film Man of Constant Sorrow is pretty close to the beginning and then it kind of just follows the film like a theme and then it becomes part of like the big climax of the film and if you're not paying attention it kind of comes out of nowhere yeah I think it's really cool how the song is sort of woven into the narrative of the overall film and then I mean even the title um I think speaks about what happens in the film. He, it's about a man of constant sorrow. And so these three guys just sort of constantly encounter all of these obstacles to, to their goals. And um, it's just, it's really cool how that all goes together. It's almost like it was planned that way or something. <laughs> yeah. It was like it was written in the story. <laughs> One of the songs that has stayed with me since first seeing the film is, uh, down to the river to pray. Yeah. Uh, Allison Krauss gets the credit for this, for this version of it. Yeah. The, um, the song down to the river to pray I read was actually uh, originally written in, I think it was 1867. So it was, published in slave songs of the United States. Um, Either way, it's over a hundred years old. It was a little bit questionable about, you know, if that was the first 
time that it was written or recorded or kind of when it was written, but it's thought to have been composed by an enslaved African-American. So that, that was really cool. And I mean, the song itself has so much symbolism, which I think, again, just kind of goes with the film perfectly, but it has had various versions um, which have been sung at outdoor baptisms, like in the film. So the lyric in the river is very apt for that. And then um, it was also thought to actually have some sort of coded messages for enslaved people. So in the river was thought to refer to the practice of walking in the river when escaping slavers so that their scent was lost to bounty hunters and slavers dogs. And then Starry Crown was thought to refer to navigating by the stars during their escape. And then the part that says, good Lord, show me the way might refer to like the Underground Railroad or other escape routes. So I thought that was so, so cool that, I mean, even though there's a very clear meaning and association with the scene in the film where um, the baptism is happening, uh, that there's also this like really, really rich history associated with this song. Yeah, that's cool. I didn't know that. I didn't either till I started reading about it. <laughs> I thought it was really, really neat. I think it's a really memorable song from the album. I think when I was re-listening to it or re-listening to the album, this was one of those songs that I immediately was like, oh yeah, I remember this one. I haven't heard it in forever, but you kind of instantly remember all the words and it's not a song where I remember a specific time or a specific event, but it's just one of those songs you've kind of heard over the years, you know, lots and lots of times. Um, On a more comical note, I think the song in the jailhouse now and the performance that the actors did for that, that's one of my favorite uh, parts of the film. It's just, I think it's right after they, um, are greeted as the soggy bottom boys and Everett is chasing his wife to talk to her. And so the rest of the band doesn't know what to do. So they break into in the jailhouse now. And the, that is actually Tim Blake Nelson singing his parts. Oh, cool. That's awesome. On, on, a, on a slightly disappointing note, it's not John Turturro doing the yodeling, but <laughs> that is actually that is actually Tim Blake Nelson singing in the jailhouse now. And that's one of those songs that you're talking about where there's this great there's this great storytelling in the song and it's and it's it's a uh, vaudeville song. Um so it's actually you know it's a very funny song. It's very entertaining. I don't know if it's just me, but it seems like recently films that have singing in them um or are sort of more musical films they tend to hire actors that sing their own parts is that just me noticing a pattern that doesn't exist or do you have you like noticed that as well i think i think more actors have wanted to do it you know i think more i think there's been a push for more authenticity i think i think people are getting tired of profiles on dan tominsky they want their accolades for for doing their own thing. Um, another movie that T-Bone Burnett uh, was in charge of kind of wrangling the soundtrack for was Walk the Line. And in that movie, oh, both yeah. Joaquin and Reese Witherspoon, uh, both Joaquin Phoenix and Reese Witherspoon sang, sing their parts as June Carter Cash and Johnny Cash. 
Yeah, that was another really great movie with a great soundtrack. And a lot of the songs on this album, actually, um, Johnny Cash and June Carter Cash uh, sang them as well or covered them at some point. I found, I think, like two or three that they covered. I didn't know that, but that makes sense. It seems like this, a lot, of, especially a lot of the darker songs feel like they're oh, yeah. John, Johnny Cash's wheelhouse. I think You Are My Sunshine was one that he did um, and sort of popularized a bit again. And then I think also Keep on the Sunny Side uh, was another one that they did. So... And that one, they actually had their kids sing with them as well. Well, I guess we've talked about You Are My Sunshine a little bit, but I mean, this is a song my mom sang to me when I was a kid, and I hadn't really heard all the lyrics until listening to this album. And so it's a song that I always associated with like happiness and calm and I guess like sleepiness because she would sing it to me before I went to bed. But I had no idea it was actually such a really sad song. Um, When you listen to the rest of the lyrics, it's more about like unrequited love. So I think, you know, when I use this as a lullaby, I'll continue to cut out all of the sad parts. But yeah, it's, it's one of those songs that really takes me back to my childhood. Yeah. Do you have any association with You Are My Sunshine or memories? I feel like everyone's heard it throughout yeah. their life. Yeah, I'm trying to think of like the first time I heard it. I know right around this time, I think Sparkle Horse released an album called It's a Wonderful Life. And it has a cover of You Are My Sunshine. And I think because he's such a sad or, or he was such a sad artist that I understood or it made sense when he sang it, that it was a sad song. Like I didn't, I didn't know this backstory. I guess I didn't know all the lyrics from the song until you just mentioned it, but it made me think back to that album where he covered it. I'm like, Oh, that makes so much more sense now (laughs) that it's a sad song. And that's why he would cover it. Even though his album was called, it's a wonderful life. It was not a happy album. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the irony. My husband actually insists that the version of this song by the Civil Wars is the best version, but it's really like the most depressing version of this song that I have ever heard. So not not my favorite, though it's beautiful. It's just very sad. I'm going to have to check that version out. Yeah, it's Not good. that I'm looking for the saddest version, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> my husband is. He actually loves depressing songs and depressing literature. So um I usually don't take recommendations from him for that reason. (laughs) I didn't know that about him. Yeah. I once actually went to a bookstore and asked them what their most depressing book was and then bought it for him for a present. The person actually that I was talking to, the sales clerk was like, are you okay? Should I call someone? And I was just like, no, I'm fine. It's for somebody else. Don't worry. (laughs) It's for my husband. Yeah. (laughs) I think he was just my boyfriend at the time, but yeah, it was pretty funny. The song Oh Death by Ralph Stanley is a song that when I was listening to the album in preparation for this podcast, I was just kind of skipping through the songs and switching through to see which ones I was familiar with. Um, 
And I remember stopping on this song and I couldn't make myself switch to the next song because I just wanted to keep listening to the lyrics. And it just, I can't really think of another word to describe it besides haunting. I mean, it just sort of simultaneously was creepy, but also just so beautiful to listen to. And then when I watched the movie again, I found that this song was actually associated with the Ku Klux Klan rally, and it made the song even more haunting. There was just so much about that scene that was unnerving in the way it was filmed. It was just so dark. And then matching it with the song, it was almost unbearable to watch. But then I think the scene ends in what I would consider probably a pretty satisfactory way, kind of that dark humor we were talking about early on that sort of saved saved everything from being too emotional and too dark. The Coen brothers are pretty notorious for finding pretty creative ways to injure or to kill people in their films. And the way that scene ended is maybe not the most memorable of their (laughs) scenes, but you know, it doesn't surprise me when you see something like that. Yeah, definitely. So I think we mentioned it earlier, but the film has a lot of references to other things. You know, it's based off The Odyssey. I believe the title of the movie comes from um, Sullivan's Travels. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, the the 1941 film Sullivan's Travels, in which the protagonist is a director who wants to film Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? A fictional Hmm. book about the Great Depression. That's really cool. I'm not sure if you're uh, if you've seen um, the movie Cool Hand Luke. That is one that is on my list, and I have not seen. Which I've been told over and over that I need to. So maybe this will be the final inspiration for me to go and actually watch it. In the film, there's a man with the sunglasses that is basically hunting down our our three heroes of the film. Oh yes, yes, yes. And um, kind of the fact that you can't let, like the sunglasses are like so deep and black. Mm-hmm. Like, They're glacier glasses. They're like literally what you would use to climb a mountain. <laughs> um, I, I feel like that's a reference to Cool Hand Luke. And I think there's some imagery in the film with like the roads looking like a cross that I believe um I don't know if they're intentional or not, but remind me of Cool Hand Luke. So it just seems like there's these like gems scattered throughout the film, whether it's music or visual, that just there's it's just so rich. Yeah, I agree. I think there's so much symbolism in this film and in this music that I mean, you could probably spend an entire PhD thesis writing about it. It's really brilliantly done and i think the deeper you dive into it kind of the more you find so the album obviously did really well one best one album of the year for the grammys they did, they did a lot of like kind of i don't know offshoots of the album they did like a down from the mountain dvd are you familiar with any of those things that they did after the soundtrack no i actually had no idea did they I mean, they toured around the country or? um... I think they just did a one-time concert and taped it for DVD and TV. Okay. No, I've never seen it. 
Did you uh, check it out or do you remember seeing it? I remember hearing about it. Um, I, I don't think I ever saw it. Like, I don't think I got, like, I really like the soundtrack, but I don't think I ever got swept up where, like, I needed to watch a DVD of some of the artists playing the yeah. songs live. I agree. I think there's a lot of songs that I'm familiar with on this album, um, but definitely, you know, I'm not uh, not running out to buy, like, the newest recording of Go to Sleep Little Baby or anything like that. Yeah, like if I went to a show and it ended up happening to be like, like, like I like Jillian Welch. She's on the uh, soundtrack. Like if I went to a Jillian Welch show and she's like, hey, I brought all my friends from the Oh Brother album and we're going to sing Oh Brother. Something. Like I'd be f- completely yeah. happy with that. But I wouldn't like go hunt down like outside of that. <laughs> yeah, totally. Do you, do you follow any of the artists from the soundtrack um, 20 years later? <laughs> um. I guess I don't normally follow artists in particular. I tend to just listen to whatever I like. And so if I like a certain song, I'll listen to that song by an artist, but I don't necessarily like track down the artist. I think I used to listen that way when I was in maybe like middle school and high school. Like I remember hearing... um, what was it? Gangsta's Paradise. And then I went and bought the rest of Coolio's album and was like, you know, I don't like the rest of these songs as much as <laughs> Gangsta's Paradise. Or, you know, I feel like whenever I would go and track down the rest of an album, I really wouldn't like most of the album as much as uh, that original track. So now I pretty much just listen to what I come across and what I like and I tend to listen to songs rather than um, being completely engrossed in like one particular artist's career which isn't always true there are definitely some people that I've followed in the past but um, for this album there's not one group or one artist that I really um, have followed closely through the years what about you? Well, it's interesting you say that because I feel like this whole podcast came about because like in high school, I would get really into a band and then I would want to find all their songs. And a lot of times you have to go to soundtracks to find some of these songs that they left off like their album. Yeah. So in that way, it's kind of interesting because it's kind of the opposite sort of mentality. Like I needed to find all, you know, I think like for instance, like Foo Fighters, uh, were a band that I was really into in high school. I mean, I still like the Foo Fighters now, but you know, I wanted I all too. their songs. So I would have to, you know, oh, they have a song on the Godzilla soundtrack, or they have the song, they have a song on the Scream Two soundtrack. So I would end up getting these soundtracks just to track down all their songs. And in these particular cases, maybe not my favorite Foo Fighters songs, but you know, I just needed to have them all. So that's kind of how I started getting into soundtracks. But um, with this album, yeah, with this album, I think I kind of got into Julian Welch. Like, I think I had heard about her before, and then I had heard her songs on here, and I liked them. But it wasn't until, like, maybe 10 years after the movie came out where I ended up, like, seeing her live. How was the live performance? Um, It was great. Julian Welch uh, performs with um, her songwriting partner, Dave Rawlings. They're the Dave Rawlings machine. And at this club, it's a lot of like guests, guest musicians will drop in. Uh, so it was a really great time. I think um, 
I think Bentmont from Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers showed up to play piano. I I think Sean and Sarah from Nickel Creek were there. It was just one of those things where like, you know, you had a bunch of like super talented bluegrass musicians all in a room. They played, um, you know, traditional songs. They played Chuck Berry covers. I think they even, they even like did a, uh, it, I wouldn't call it a bluegrass version, but they did kind of a cool version of a, uh, a buzzcock song ever fallen in love. It was a great time. And so, you know, maybe over the summer I saw the Dave Rawlings machine in whatever capacity they were playing in at this club. I feel like, I feel like if you're like a popular bluegrass act, like you're probably pretty killer at playing live. Yeah. I mean, I think that's probably one of the coolest live music or concert experiences you could ask for where it's like tons of guest performers who come in and they just kind of jam, you know, I would love to see something like that. Honestly, at this point, I would love to see any live music again. It has been so long. And then with the pandemic, I just, I can't wait for live music to come back. I feel like at least one of the bright spots in the pandemic is how creative people have been and how I think being sequestered to our own homes has forced us to sort of engage in some of those activities that people used to do before there was like just a constant uh, list of like social gatherings and um, streaming TV and all that. Like one of the things that made me really nostalgic about this album was thinking about people just kind of singing together around a campfire or, you know, just getting together after dinner and playing instruments and singing. And I feel like that was something that might have been really common in like the 1800s or early 1900s. But now since television um, and sort of all of these other modern distractions that we have, like our phones, people tend to not interact that way as much. Like, I mean, people who play in bands and are musicians obviously do that a lot, but the average person doesn't really sit down and hang out and play music. Yeah, and that's a great point. I think this album... I think that's why this album kind of caught fire. It feels like it's a communal album, like it it's for everybody. Yeah, for sure. You know, and maybe that's why there wasn't like a big breakthrough star from the soundtrack, because it just kind of feels like it's owned by the community. It really is, because, I mean, when you go back and look at so many of these songs, I know I've said this a million times, but they've just been around forever. You know, these aren't songs that have been around for 10 years or 20 years, but they've been around for 100 years in several cases. And even one of the one of the music groups, the Fairfield Four. So they sang Lonesome Valley, which for me, I just I love the deep richness and the quality of the artist's voices. But in that song. But the gospel group, the Fairfield Four, has actually been around for like 90 years. Um, So the members have changed and it disbanded for like 20 years between 1960 and 1980. But it was started in 1921. So, yeah, I guess at this point it's 100 years pretty much. Um, And so, I mean, just... 
this one group has stood the test of time and the songs in this album have stood the test of time. And so it really is an album that has music that is a soundtrack to almost everyone's life. You know, there's a song on here that everyone's probably heard or is familiar with at some point in multiple generations, like not just our generation, but our parents' generation and probably even our grandparents' generation. So it makes it, I think, really approachable. And that's probably why it's an award-winning album. Thank you, Elena, for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. Uh, Elena also has a podcast called ER Docs. The Emergency Docs. Oh, it's, sorry, The Emergency Docs. No worries. Thanks. Uh, and where can people find your podcast? Um, it's available on all major podcast platforms. Um, so should be should be available wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, what's a quick summary of what your podcast covers? So we basically talk about different topics in medicine and specifically emergency medicine to try to make things accessible um, to the general public or for um, newer learners in the medical field. So um, we've covered things from what it's like to be a physician at Everest Base Camp to lots of different tidbits on the COVID pandemic. Um, and we've even talked to some authors about um, medical, medical fiction, I guess. So check it out. Well, thank you again, Elena, for coming on. Uh, you were a great guest. Thank you again for having me. It was really, really fun. I love talking about something I don't really get to get to talk about that often. Well, I'm glad that you were able to do that here. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks for joining us this week on Soundtrack Your Life. Make sure to visit our website, SoundtrackYourLife.net, where you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too.